Welcome to Christian Life Academy. We are working our way through the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession, which we have adopted as our statement of faith. Chapter 1 is of the Holy Scriptures. We are working our way through that chapter. And uh, basically, that means that we're taking a long time because the Scriptures is a, um, uh, it's a doctrine that has many uh, sub-doctrines, if you will, or lesser doctrines that are part of it. Uh, all of them important in one way or another, and that's why we've talked about them as we've moved along. Uh, but one of the things that the Confession states and that we see in Scriptures is our understanding that the Scripture should be available to everyone. And the Scripture uses the language, I'm sorry, the Confession uses the language. It should be translated into the vulgar tongue of the people, which means the common language of the people. And of course, uh, through uh, the millennia, there has been uh, struggles with this, with individuals that uh, believed that and wanted to uh, translate the scripture. They were persecuted for it, put to death. Um, others were uh, stopped dead in their tracks. Translations were collected and burned. Um, all of these things basically to uh, keep God's words out of the hands of the people, and in those cases, in control of a heretical church. So, um, that has been something that has been a struggle for the church, and that has now transitioned. So now uh, we don't see that very much. There are a few countries where that is still an issue, um, obviously not in our country or in Western Europe, uh, but we do see uh, the struggle shifted another direction, and that is the dilution of God's Word, which has also been a problem for the last two millennia with false gospels being written even during the time of the apostles, and they did uh, reference them uh, in the scriptures. Um, and we have seen since then a uh, continuing effort to do this. We talked about uh, the two dominant Greek texts uh, that exist today, that being the modern critical text and the Texas Receptus or the received text. Uh, the Texas Receptus is the one that the uh, King James, the Geneva Bible, both based on. Uh, the modern critical text, virtually all other translations based on that. Um, what is the difference? Well, I'm so glad you asked because that's what we're spending another day. We've spent a couple of weeks now uh, going through the differences between them. Uh, what appears to be very uh, convincing when you look at the evidence is that uh, the things that are removed in the modern critical text are, are key verses, key words that are essential to other doctrines. So the doctrine of, of Christ being God and not a created being uh, messed with. Uh, a lot. Many verses have taken that, have changed it. Uh, that he was born to uh, regular parents instead of to Joseph and his mother. Uh, that has been changed. So there's a number of them like that. So that's what we're working on. We're just going through and seeing some comparisons um, and some of those key doctrines that have been impacted and changed in some of the text. So we start with this uh, one right here, number 10. We are working through uh, 10 things about the doctrine of Christ and a denial of his deity. And number 10 is a denial of Christ's ascension. We see here in John 3.13, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. They take out which is in heaven. Why, would that make a difference? It does. Where is Christ today? A little while, first is John 15, 16, 16, a little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Well, they take out, I go to the Father. So why? Well, because that helps take away the idea that Christ was God, that he was man. 
The following deletions of the words of Christ were deleted in the NIV, NAS, NKG, etc. These are partial verses. Uh, you can see, certainly you can see above for the complete verses, but let's just look at them here. And you'll notice some of these phrases that you'll recognize. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you despite, and despitefully use you. Gone. I am not come to call the righteous but sinners. Gone. Draweth nigh unto me with their mouth. Gone. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Gone. And whatsoever is right ye shall, that ye shall receive. Now, you, you think about it. These, you've seen these verses before. You've seen these phrases. We use them when we discuss some of these subjects that Christ taught. They're gone from these translations. Matthew 20, 16. For many he called, but few chosen. Does that make a difference for us in the doctrine of election? Yes, it does. That's one of the key texts. Matthew 6, 11, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Gone. Mark 7, 8, It's the washing of pots and cups and many other suck-like things you do. Now that is interesting. We're, I'm not going to go into it, but if you look at that passage and you see what he's talking about, you'll see that that is actually a key phrase to take out. Matthew 8, I'm sorry, Mark 8, 26, Nor tell it to any in the town. Mark, this is when Christ is commissioning the apostles. Mark 10, 21, take up the cross. Mark 13, 14, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Which, by the way, why would we say take up the cross? Why would that be a big issue? Christ was prophesying his own death. That's what he's talking about in this passage. He's talking about others need to do what he is going to be doing. Luke 4, 8, get thee behind me, Satan. Luke 9, 50, uh, 9 55, you know not what manner of spirit ye are of. Luke 9.56, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. Gone. John 6.47, what believeth on, I'm sorry, that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Interesting. What's gone from that, by the way, is on me. That's what's gone. That believeth hath everlasting life is left. Again, taking away Christ's deity. All right, so now let's talk about... Uh, we're still looking at these comparisons. Here's a corruption of the gospel in general. Change belief to obedience. Do you think that makes a difference? If you change belief to obedience, does it not change the entire idea of salvation? It works, right? Romans 11.32, For God hath concluded, concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So they change unbelief to disobedience. Is there a difference there? It is. Not by itself, right? You have to have other verses. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believeth not, they change believe not to disobey. So this is talking about Christ. They're say, what this is saying in Hebrews is, to them that believe not, it's talking about basically who's a believer. He's not saying this to those that believe not, now it's changed to disobeyed. It works. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they do whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest. Here it is, right? Lest any man after the fall, after the fall, any man fall after the same example of disobedience. So both cases, these are changed. That's what I'm showing you here. Six and eleven, both changed. Ephesians four six. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. They changed in you all to in all. In all, instead of in you all. Is there a difference there? Yes, if you take out the you, it's pantheism. 
God is in all. If God is in all, there is no need for salvation. He's already in you. He's already in you. Anybody know what the most common use of pantheism is today? Not called pantheism, by the way. Just like Arians aren't called Arians today. Because <laughs> that's a bad name. So, what do you think? Anybody have an idea? Pantheism. What's the biggest use of pantheism today? Popular. The Force. Star Wars. The Force is in everything. It's in all living things. It's around us. It's in us all. That's pantheism. That's pantheism. Star Wars uses pantheism. That's what this does when you take out you all. In all, is God in all? Or is God in the believers? Where does the Holy Spirit indwell? Everyone? No. Believers. Removing the blood atonement of Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So they just take out through his blood. In whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. Make salvation difficult. Mark 10, 24. And the disciples were astonished by, at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven? So they take out for them that trust in riches. In other words, it's hard for everyone. You see this? Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So they change narrow to difficult or hard. Let me ask you, is salvation hard? It's not hard. How did Christ say come? With what kind of like faith? Childlike. Can a child do something that's that hard? No, it's simple. It's simple. Oh, it's, there's, there's a more to it, right? But the faith, salvation, isn't that hard. Look, you don't have to understand this to be saved. You don't. And most don't. You don't become a scholar before you get saved. You don't learn all the Bible before you get saved. That's actually coming up with a precondition. You somehow must know all this before you're saved. They're basics. It's not hard. It's not difficult. Now you could say, well, it is kind of hard because we have to get over our... Yeah, well, yes, that, that's true. Unfortunately, you don't do that. The Holy Spirit does. Changing your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Then it's easy. You immediately know you're guilty. You immediately want to repent. Why? Work of the Holy Spirit. You didn't do it. It's not hard. Because straight is... Sorry, I read that. Okay. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So they add, and purity of devotion after simplicity. <laughs> Basically, they're changing it into faithfulness. Matthew 23-23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, 
mercy and faith, these ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. What happens there? Well, they change faith to faithfulness. Is there a difference between faith and faithfulness? There is. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-serving, gentle, goodness, and faith. Faith, not faithfulness. Faith. That's what Galatians says. Okay, change is saved to was saved. Now, why is that important? Well, because if we change is saved to was saved, it changes a secure standing to a past singular event. In other words, you were saved at one point, don't know about now. You see the difference. If you were saved, not you are saved, see the difference? Now, you might say, well, I don't know, maybe sometimes I've actually described it that way. I've actually said I was saved at this age, or I was saved at this place, or whatever, right? Nothing wrong with that at all. Nothing wrong. You're describing when your salvation actually took place. That's what you're describing. That's okay. But if we see in the scriptures that the scriptures always referred to salvation as a singular event and not as a lifelong thing, where is your comfort? Where is your secure standing? You have none. So you better get saved to Ben. You better go to confession. You better go say your Hail Marys. You better do your works. Because otherwise... You might not be saved. You were saved, but how about now? What have you done today? Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with that in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, in both theirs and ours. So they change our two were sanctified in Christ Jesus. Obviously, this changes regeneration to a one-time event. Or initiation, right, which is completely heretical, completely untrue. By the way, I'm showing you one verse. Right on these subjects, or two on these subjects, there's we we're taking too long as it is. I don't have time to go through them all. I will show you some more, but I'm just saying. You're like, well, it's only one verse. No, it's many verses. All right, remove Christ from the gospel. Change gospel of Christ to gospel. Change gospel of Christ to Christ. Change the gospel of Christ to it. Delete the words on me from he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He that believeth hath everlasting life. Does that make a difference? Yeah. So that's Romans 1.16, Romans 15.29, 1 Corinthians 9.18, and then, of course, John 6.47. Teach baptismal regeneration. Acts 8.36 and 37. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, all these versions, the NKG, the NIV, the NAS, the CEB, the ESV, the ISV, either all delete verse 37 completely, or they show it in brackets with the notes that it doesn't belong in Scripture. So this deletion denies the apostolic baptistic doctrine of believer's baptism, requiring that a person believe the gospel prior to being baptized and favors those who practice infant baptism. See, when we talked about baptism, which was... A little bit ago, some time, some months, I don't remember how many. But, you know, it was toward the end of our confession. There was actually two chapters that dealt with believer's baptism. And as we worked through those, this was one of the key passages. 
Because we, now, not only this one, right? There's many other passages that show that some people believe, then they were baptized. People believe, then they were baptized. People believe, then they were baptized. But here, we see a better explanation. Because the Ethiopian eunuch says, what prohibits me, for, or why can't we be baptized right now? What's hindering me? And the explanation is, you have to believe first before you're baptized. Now, that's a huge problem for infant baptism, isn't it? It's a huge problem. Taking that verse out takes away that proof text. Denying the importance of God's word. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. What did they take out? By every word of God. It's written that man shall not live by bread alone. Does that change the context? It sure does. It sure does. How about Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So they change powerful to active. Powerful, active. Okay. Does that make a difference? It does. John 21, 15 through 17. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. Then look at these verses. You're going to see it down here. We're going to feed in a second. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves, to all the flock over which God hath, all the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Then 1 Peter 5, 2. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, for not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Well, they change feed to tend or shepherd. Change feed to tend or shepherd. Now this significantly changes the roles of the elders. This minimizes them and promotes the Nicolaitan role. By the way, Christ said he hated that. Revelation. You see that. What was the idea? You don't need an elder. You could just go straight to Christ. That's the Lone Ranger mentality. Do anybody know people like that? Yes, you do. Demasculinize God. Change him to the one. And he that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. So they change him to one. Despiseth the one that sent me. All references are clearly masculine in the Greek. We've talked about this before. Other foreign languages, most foreign languages, actually have references or words that are either masculine or feminine words. Now, usually that has to do with the way that the word is used, but it also does have to do with the focus on the particular word. Greek is no different. Greek has masculine and feminine. Hebrew, by the way, does not have masculine and feminine. Just interesting. 
but like Spanish, I mean, there's French, there's a lot of them that do. And if you ever took one of those classes, you had to learn all that because there is a slightly different spelling and pronunciation if you use the masculine and the feminine. And that's usually one of the things that's hardest to learn that language is when you should use the masculine and the feminine because it's a little difficult. At any rate, so the references in the Greek are clearly masculine. It seems very clear in line with the movement toward the new age got, uh, mother goddess, the virgin. So we've seen this. We talked about that biblical council that actually was the latest changes in the NIV were due to that council where they're trying to take away the idea of it being a man, God being a man. This is also in all of these verses. All of those verses change God from a masculine to an entity. Matthew 13, 37, Luke 12, 5, John 4, 24, 6, 46, 7, 18, 12, 45, 15, 21. Sorry if you're listening to this in sermon audio, you've got to play it back in slow motion. Acts 7, 20, 38, 10, 42, 22, 9, 1 Corinthians 15, 28, Colossians 3, 10, Hebrews 5, 7, and 7, 21, 1 Peter 1, 14, Revelation 1, 18, and 2, 1. All of those places. Does that look like a concerted effort? It does. Acts 17, 29. For as much as when you are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. They change Godhead to divine nature or divine being or eliminate it completely. You see how this, is that going to make it a change? We ought not to think that the Godhead, the divine nature, or the divine being? Yeah, who are we talking about then? Also Romans 1.20 and Colossians 2.9. Okay, denial of the Trinity. 1 John 5, 6-8, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. So what, they, what do they do? They delete verse 7 completely and create a new verse 7 from part of verse 6 or verse 8. Now this is a significant proof of the Trinity. We use this when we refer to the doctrine of the Trinity, and it has been used by the church for two, centuries, two millennia, 2,000 years. The early church fathers used this reference. They wrote about it. Exodus 6.3, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Psalm 83, 18, that men, may that, that men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. They changed Jehovah to the Lord at virtually all locations where it appears. This is also in accordance with New Age's desire that all religions be equal and say that we all worship the same God. In other words, if we all worship the same God, you can't use a name. You have to use God. Does this make sense? Now, does anybody know of any religions that say we all worship the same God? Have you heard this before? We all worship the same God? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Jehovah's Witness. They say it. Same God. Mormons. Same God. Muslims. Same God. Except, hmm, they gave him a name. Allah. Right? And, you know, if you talk to a Muslim and you ask them, well, who do you think Jehovah is? They'll say, well, that's just the Jew's name for Allah. His name's Allah. But they weren't given that name. But these religions all want us to do this. You know, this is why the Pope, the last several years, has made all these efforts to unify religions. 
he has made this statement numerous times, we all serve the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. Muslims do not serve the same God as you. Not at all. Not even close. Nope. How about Jehovah's Witness? No. Why? Well, because Christ isn't God. Not the same God. How about Mormons? No. Christ isn't God. He's the son of God. Brothers with Lucifer. It's not the same God. That's not even going down all the wackiness that they have. Because they do have a lot of wackiness. And I'm not just talking about the Joseph Smith with the hat. I'm talking about the planet Frobos, spirit babies, all that. At any rate. <laughs> also, this happens in Genesis 22:14, Exodus 7:15, Jude 6:24, Isaiah 20:12:2, and 26:4. Again, I mean, look, just look at these verses. Take a picture of the screen and see what your Bible says. What's it say? Does it say Jehovah? Or does it say something different? All right, so now we're going to begin, so I'm going to back up here. These are comparisons and with some specific verses with some specific doctrines, all right? Now, we're going to see that again in a little different format. So now we're going to go to this where you're going to see three columns, same columns the whole time. The authorized version of the NIV and the CEV. Now, why do we use, why am I using the NIV and the CEV? Because I don't have a screen wide enough to show all the, all the versions. I can't do it. Besides that, they're all pretty close. They all make most of the same changes, the ones we've talked about already, make essentially the same changes. So we're going to go through so you can see a side-by-side -side comparison in these key passages. Now what you'll see is that some of it, most of it, is the same. Most of it is the same. There's some that's different. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with what does it take to actually copyright something? It has to be a substantial, quote-unquote, change from a previously published work. Now what does that mean? Notice that the language in the copyright laws is it has to be a substantial change from a previously published work, not a previously copyrighted work. So, when was the authorized version first printed? 1611. When was the Geneva Bible first printed? Anybody know that, by the way? It's not, it's not the version that's reprinted today. It was before that. Pardon me? I believe it was before that. The first version. Pardon me? I, 1535, I believe it's 1545, but it's right in that same time frame, but well before the King James Version, 1611, right? And if you have a Geneva Bible and a King James and you hold them side by side, you'll see they're very close. The reference that you read in the front of the King James about where how they got their work, they basically describe this previous work that had been done by others and how close it was and how good it was. They're not allowed to say Geneva. Why? Because the king didn't like the Geneva Bible, because it pointed out that he didn't have divine right in the footnotes. <laughs> he didn't like that. And I did show you a verse that showed that. At any rate. All right. So let's just read through it so you can see the combination. All right. Obviously, the authorized version you're familiar with. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So here we see NIV. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. Good. So far. Right? Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Okay? All right? I don't know hovering versus moved. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay. It's not substantially different. 
C.E.V. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was barren, with no form of life, and it was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness. But the Spirit of God was moving over the water. God said, I command light to shine, and light started shining. Now, this is very interesting. This is not what the, what the Hebrews said at all. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say this. The CEV has basically come up with a new version that might people have, people have a better mind picture of what it looked like. Because remember, the whole point of using modern critical text translations is that they elicit a response in people the same that the original audience would have had to the original writing. So who do we believe, I'm going to say it that way, who do we believe wrote the book of Genesis? Moses. So who was the book of Genesis first presented to? The people of Israel, right? So the translators today would be trying to evoke in you the same sense that the people of Israel at the time of Moses would have had. Anybody see any challenges with this? How did the people of Moses respond? We don't know. We don't know. So they're going to make some assumptions on how they responded, and they're going to modify the text so that it actually gives you the same impression. Now, that's okay if it's just the story. But is it okay if God inspires every word to just change it to something else? Now you can say, well, I'm not sure how much it would matter if it says the earth was barren with no form of life, it was under a roaring ocean covered with darkness and the Spirit of God. Really? I bet you Ken Ham would say different. I bet you he would point out that there's some problems with this. There's some problems with this too. That last part. You might be thinking, what? <laughs> yeah, there's a problem. Why? Notice in the first two, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Immediately light. It was light. It was lit. Right? In the CEV, he commanded light to shine. And the light shined. Where did the line shine from? The great sun of the next day. Where did the light shine from? See, there's a difference between light that shines and light that exists. What's the difference? The sun and God. And God. New heavens and new earth. It's going to be lit. What does the Bible tell us about the source of light? in New Jerusalem. What is it? Anybody? It's Christ. No need of sun. No need of sun. It's just light. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it makes a difference. Especially because we're going to see how evolution needs periods of time in order to try to use the day-age theory with the Bible. All right. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Say, well, that, yeah. Yeah, we got sunset, sunrise, and all that. No, they didn't. They didn't have it. Why? No sun. And God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day.
Anybody? Anybody see an issue? And the evening and the morning were the first day. How many days is that? Is there any way that that could be more than one day? And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. How many days is that? You don't know. You don't know. And this is used, this exact phrase right here is used by day-age theory. What do they say? They say this was eons of time. There was a morning. And there was an evening. And when the evening hit, that was the first day. How long was that? Millions of years. What? Millions of years. That's it right there. See, God's word has to be very specific in order for us to understand it specifically, right? If we don't care how long day one was, if we think day one could have been a time period and referred to as the first day, but it was a time period and not a literal day, evolution can happen. Actually, no, it still can't. <laughs> but periods of time could happen. Okay, so let's just go to the most basic one we can do. If you took an unbelievably huge junkyard, how many millions of years would it take for a 747 to appear? I'm thinking, never. God looked at the light and he saw it was good. He separated the light from the darkness. He named the light day. He named the darkest night. Evening came and then morning. That was the first day. It's the same. Now it sounds close, but there's enough of a gap there to make it not a day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God said, I command a dome to separate the water above it from the water below it. And that's what happened. God made the dome. That's Jenny's favorite verse of this whole comparison. And that's what happened. God made the dome. <laughs> if you have a CEV, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's the truth. This is what's in it. All right. So, uh, now, what are we talking about here? And again, we, you know, it's easy to have go on rabbit trails, and we're not going to go too far on it. But we're talking about uh, what was the heavens and what was the space between the heavens. And what we believe is that there was the water on the earth and that there was water in the atmosphere. That water in the atmosphere was largely what created the flood. That's why it rained then for the first time. That's why we talk about Noah had never seen rain before. Why do we believe that? Because we don't believe that there was rain before that. The first rain was actually from the flood. After that barrier of water in the atmosphere is gone, then clouds begin to evaporate, water, rain, clouds, etc. Not so before. That's what this reflects right here, that there was this firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. You're going to see birds flying between the firmament. Okay, we're going to see that. Notice in both of these, these appear to be underground caverns, underground spaces. The vault that separated the water from the water and water above it, and it was so, and this, the dome, is the idea that there was actually this space under the earth. 
still could be there. Journey to the center of the earth. Right? What happened there? Well, they're trying to find this space that's in the middle of the earth. Lots of movies and books about that concept. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And named it sky, evening and the morning, that was the second day. Now what are they talking about when they say the waters above and the waters below, and the vault and the dome and sky? They're talking about that above the waters was sky. Above the dome was sky. It wasn't within it. In other words, the dome inside the dome wasn't sky. And the interesting thing is, if you think about a dome, what? how'd that look? What was the dome? Like the whole earth? Or was it like regional? Hard to imagine that. Don't find a book on it. <laughs> okay. Genesis 27, 39 to 40. And Isaac answered his father, I'm sorry, Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and the dew of the heaven from above. And by the sword thou shalt, shalt thou live and shall serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So in the, okay, so who are we talking about here? Jacob and Esau, right? This is Isaac's sons. And he is talking about Esau. He's talking to Esau. Now, if you remember, Jacob and Esau, who was the first, who was the oldest? Esau, who would by normally would be the one to inherit Esau. But we remember that that was not who God had chosen. God chose Jacob. He revealed this to Isaac. We even see that uh, when they were, uh, they, by the way, how far apart were they? What? How long? How long? Yeah, Barb's got it. How long? There was no separation because Jacob was holding onto Esau's foot when he came out. It was immediately right behind him, right? So you say, well, how was that? Maybe it was two seconds. I mean, it was, it was quick. He was holding onto his foot. At any rate, so this is Isaac telling Esau how he's going to live. So now let's see what the NIV says. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's riches. Away from the dew of heaven above. Wait, what's this say? Thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven. This says away from it. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you'll throw his yoke from your neck. This says, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Not restless when you have the dominion. So his father said, your home will be far from that fertile land where dew comes down from the heavens. What? You will live by the power of your sword and be your brother's slave. But when you decide to be free, you'll break loose. Three distinct differences there with how he's going to break free. Yes? Also, three distinct differences about where he's going to live. Now, does this make a difference? It does. If you follow who Esau's people became, it does make a difference of how they lived and who they became and why they were enemies of Israel. 2 Samuel 
21.19, And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines. And Elahan, the son of Jerogrim, does anybody want to take another shot at that one? Yarorigim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Here's the NIV. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elahan, son of Jer, the Bethlehemite, that's interesting, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, who had a spear like a shaft, with a shaft like a weaver's rod. Okay, it's pretty close. A little name and change there, but that's still easier to say than this one. At any rate, what was that? Jer was his nickname. Maybe that was it. I don't know. There was still another battle with the Philistines at Gob. A soldier named Elhanan killed Goliath from Gath, whose spear shaft was like a weaver's beam. Elham's father was Jerry from Bethlehem. He killed Goliath. That's interesting, isn't it? Not Goliath's brother, Goliath. Psalm 7.14, Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. NIV, Whoso is, pre- is pregnant with evil, conceives trouble, and gives birth to disillusionment. CEV, An evil person is like a woman about to give birth to a hateful, deceitful, and rebellious child. Completely different. What is in those verses, none of them are the same. They're teaching three different things. Travail, by the way, does not just mean having a baby. It's struggling. It's struggling. So someone who struggles with iniquity and has come up with a way to sin and brought forth falsehood, right? The next one is talking about who's pregnant with evil. What? Conceives trouble and gives birth to this illusion. Well, I'm sorry, but they actually have the order wrong. Maybe if they were going to change it, they should have said, whoever conceives evil and is pregnant with trouble, you have to have conception before pregnancy. Just saying. And then gives birth to disillusionment. How, disillusionment? Where does that come from? It's not close. Falsehood and disillusionment is not the same. It's not the same. You can be disillusioned and not sin. But if you commit falsehood, you're sinning. And then, of course, an evil person is like a woman about to give birth to a hateful, deceitful, and rebellious child. Where does that come in? All right. Psalm 12, 6 to 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, a silver thread. I'm silver tried in a furnace of earth, pet, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. NIV, and the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Now, it's also interesting that they actually turn this into gold refined seven times instead of silver refined seven times. At any rate, you, Lord, will keep the needy safe, and will protect us from other from the wicked. Okay, read back. Read the first column. You see, that's a completely different verse. The first column is talking about God's word. This is about God's word. The words of the Lord are, blah, 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 Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them. What? His word. Here it is. 
Thou will, you Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked. It's not even close. It's not even close. Why would you change this? This is a key passage for preservation of the scripture. Preservation of the scripture. God will keep them. CEV, an evil, I'm sorry. Our Lord, you are true to your promises. And your word is like silver heated seven times in a fiery furnace. You will protect us and always keep us safe from those people. That, this is not close, is it? You think there's a difference if you have a CV Bible and an authorized version? There's a difference. And you understand here, you're true to your promises. This is not in here at all. Is this true? Well, it's true. But this, this passage is about God's word. It's about his word. Now, this says, your word is like silver heated seven times in a fiery furnace, but it doesn't say that that's, he's true to his word. He's true to his promises. You'll protect us and always keep us safe from those people. Yeah, I don't like those people. <laughs> doesn't say. Psalm 19, 7 through 14, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So NIV says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Okay, so if you notice, there's key differences here. Half of it is correct. Half of it is not correct. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Notice, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Is there a difference between being refreshed or converted? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Okay, so this is the law is trustworthy. This is whatever God says is sure or trustworthy. Making wise the simple, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. The precepts of the Lord are right. Is a statute and a precept the same? No. Giving joy to the heart, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Is there a difference there? Yes. This is a shine. You need sunglasses. This, your eyes are opened. If your eyes are enlightened, they are opened. They're opened. If the light is shining in your eyes and it's radiant in your eyes, you're squinting. See the difference? Which do you want? You want God's word to shine in your eyes or you want God's word to open your eyes? I think you want it to open your eyes. CEB, the law of the Lord is perfect. It gives us new life. Okay, this is the same verse. I just want to make sure. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect. It gives us new life. His teachings last forever, and they give wisdom to ordinary people. Okay, that's interesting. They've added some things in here that weren't in the original, but I'm not going to say I have a huge problem with it, but it's different. The Lord's instruction is right. It makes our hearts glad. His commands shine brightly, and they give us light. Some of that might be true, but that's not what this is talking about. There is a difference between being enlightened and his command shining brightly and giving us light. 
What's the difference? If you, let me ask you a question. If you have, this is just a, a bit of an explanation, not perfect. If you're out at night and you've been out there for a half hour and there's no moon and there's no lights, right? Just let's say starlight. After a half hour, you can see pretty good. Your eyes adjust, essentially, and you can see pretty good, right? If you went out and you did that, and then someone shined a headlight on you, right, in your eyes, and they dilate again. I'm sorry, they don't dilate. What's the opposite of dilate? Nobody knows. I don't know either. Constrict? Okay, let's go. I don't know. what the, You know what I mean. They shrink. You know, the less light comes in. Then the headlight goes off. Right? Your eyes are no longer enlightened, but you turn on a flashlight. Can you see the same with the flashlight as you could when your eyes were enlightened? You can't see the same. It's not even close. There's a big difference. Thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Different verse. Different context. Does God, God's word show us the path? It sure does. But that's not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about God's law... God's command enlightens us. Enlightens us. So it makes a difference. You understand what I'm saying? So, could you hear a message on this? Let's say this whole thing right here. And sound close to this. You could. But it wouldn't be a proof text. We're going to end right there. Let's close in a word of prayer.